You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. On the line, I have Rob. Hey! Ben. Hey. And Kyle. (laughs) Hi there. Bat Out of Hell is the debut studio album by American singer-songwriter Meatloaf, as well as his first collaboration with composer Jim Steinman. It was released on October 21st, 1977 on Epic Records, and the producer was Todd Rundgren. Genre is hard rock, pop, progressive rock, and I'm going to read... Uh, All Music Review, Stephen Thomas Irwine. There is no other album like Bad Out of Hell unless you want to count the sequel. This is a grand pop, epic, goth, operatic, and silly, and it's appealing because it's all of this. Jim Steinman was a composer without peer simply because nobody else wanted to make many epics like this, and there could never have been a singer more suited for his compositions than Meatloaf, a singer partial to bombast, a bed shaded bombast. The compositions are staggeringly ridiculous, yet Meatloaf finds the emotional core in each song, bringing true heartbreak to two out of three ain't bad, the sly humor to paradise by the dashboard light. There's no discounting the production of Todd Rundgren either, who gives Steinman's self-styled grandiose a production that's staggering big, but never overwhelms and is always alluring. While the sentiments are deliberate, adolescent and filled with jokes and exaggerated cliches there's real wit behind these compositions not just in the lyrics but in the music which is a savvy blend of oldies pastiche show tunes prog rock springsteen-esque narratives and blistering hard rock it may be easy to dismiss this as ridiculous but there's a real style and craft here and its kitsch is intentional it may elevate adolescent passion to operatic dimensions And that's certainly silly, but it's hard not to marvel at the skill behind the grandiose, silly, irresistible album. All right, what do we think of Battle to Hell by Meatloaf? I fucking love it! This album rules. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing record. Yeah, yeah. and Rundgren, uh, I I had known that he was, you know, had, had his sticky little fingers in this pie like for a while but it wasn't until when we were uh discussing on the chat that like it kind of sounds like dog shit unless you play this thing super loud yeah like there's no nuance (laughs) 
No. Oh, so, so, Meatloaf's not here for the nuance, Rob. <laughs> but the the way it's recorded, I I just thought it was my record had been worn out, worn out, and so I went to grab like a fresh digital, like unfiltered copy, no compression or anything, and I was like, oh, it just sounds like that. It just sounds like <laughs> real, real like flat. It doesn't have those like big dynamics. It's just the the per- it just sounds like it's been recorded over other tape that's already had music on yeah. it. It's all compressed. <laughs> which which I, th- I think is probably the case for this. Yeah. As Rundgren was paying out of pocket for everything, I'm sure he was just like, eh, this, this 24 track will do. Yeah, he's just using old tape, but he's like, well, yeah, we got to do 100 takes and there's 24 <laughs> instruments on every take, you know. Yeah, man, I can't believe how much people hated this record when it came out. Not people, <laughs> critics. Critics fucking and, hated this. And record label owners. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe Todd Rundgren, too. I don't know. <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. Everybody thought it was a, a joke, right? Even the people I, in the band were thinking, yeah. oh, this is hilarious. This is a funny joke we're doing. Do you think that Jim Steinman thinks it's a joke? No. No. Pan the musical man. <laughs> so was was Meatloaf an actor before he was recording artist Meatloaf? No, I think he was a recording artist first. Uh, and that's how he found his. Because you're asking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I assume. No, no. Well, uh, that's definitely something he acted in. But when I was reading about how they were getting turned down by all the record labels, uh, oh man, I forget his name. I'll have it in a second. But it was turning him down because he thought actors couldn't be legit rock uh like rock performers Mm. but i didn't know of anything that he had been in i don't think uh his turn with swayze and black dog had happened yet (laughs) yeah (laughs) you you guys remember black dog oh dude i love black dog that's a cool movie several movies yeah (laughs) he's prone to play a trucker or a big goofball in uh movies like fight club and others the party was born to play. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. Uh, yeah, were you talking about Clive Davis? Yes, that's who I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, the CBS executive Clive Davis had one of the best uh, quotes. He's quote, he's quoted as telling Steinman, "Do you know how to write a song? Do you know anything about writing? If you're going to write for records, it goes like this: A B C B C C. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing A D F G B D C. You don't know how to write a song. Have you ever listened to pop music? Have you ever heard any rock and roll music? You should go downstairs where and leave, when you leave here and buy some rock and roll records." <laughs> 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 of course, Jim Steinman is one of the best, I think, pop writers by blending all these styles and creating these mini, I don't know, epic songs in seven minutes or whatever. It's crazy. And apparently, even at the time, he was like a walking encyclopedia of pop music, like to to, to accuse him of, do you even listen to pop music? Do you even <laughs> like rock and roll? You know, <laughs> Yeah, it's really satisfying to see. Uh, record like <clears throat> all these stories when they go to a record exec and they're like, We have no idea what you're doing, we know what we're doing, don't worry about it, like, don't come to us with this garbage. And then it goes on to sell millions upon millions of copies, isn't it? Like, the fourth or fifth best selling album of all time, <laughs> like, of anything. 
like that's 16 sound... times platinum, I think. Yeah. It's uh, it's also UK's third longest charting studio album behind Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It was on the chart for 522 weeks. Oh, my. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. <laughs> that's, that's weeks. That's not, that's not that's ten, days. That's 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When did you guys come across this record? Um, I don't remember mine because when we came up, like the I would do anything for love thing was like on MTV. And that was my first introduction to Meatloaf. And I think Michael Bay, who directed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't remember when I first heard this record, but I I knew that I loved it immediately. I remember it was front porch of Second and Park. Yeah. I believe Adam Turla had it. Yeah, I remember seeing the Paradise by the Dashboard Light play on TV uh, on like music video channel because it was it was so weird. I just thought that that song was so wild. It had the sort of like 50s kitsch. But yeah, it was probably in high school when I saw that that song and it, it was just so strange. Yeah, I, I never got into Meatloaf. I just kind of always thought he was a goofball outside of like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um did you guys ever see the behind the music that VH1 did about Meatloaf in the 90s? No, I wish I had. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but whenever I, I thought of Meatloaf for like, you know, sitting down listening to this record, there's this story he tells about like recording a live show and they aired it on like network TV and it was like this big break, you know. So he's like watching it in a hotel room with some friends. And uh, the network messed up and like sped up the tape and it slowed down like live on TV. And he went nuts. And like blacked out for four days and like woke up in Cancun, like with no. <laughs> 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 but uh, this record, um, Streets of Fire, uh, I, I eventually listened to this record because of Jim, Jim Steinem. Um, he wrote two songs for the movie Streets of Fire. I think you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? I'm familiar. Fire Inc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that kind of gave me a new appreciation for for this kind of music, which I just kind of dismissed. I knew the the Paradise by the Dashboard Light as like a karaoke song. Yeah, yeah. You knew someone who was a big Meatloaf fan. This is true. <laughs> she would sing Paradise by the Dashboard Light a lot. A lot. Yeah, with her whole family at karaoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. I think. I think it was though when I started hanging out with you, Ben. Rob and uh, Adam and everybody that I I started to listen to the full thing, the full album straight through, because that's uh, that's really where you find out those party records. Right. You find out oh, Exile yeah. on Main Street. You find out because you have friends who are like, I know every word and this album totally rocks. No matter when you put it on, it's going to you're going to have a good time, I guess. Yeah. And at, at the time, you know, we were spending most of our time hanging out on that big front porch. Uh, the record player was in the living room inside. We just had the windows open and the cabinets turned outward. So you're going to want to pick an album that's all the way good through, through the entire side. So, so you don't need to go inside and and deal with it. Yeah. So, uh, yep. Uh, bad out of hell. Absolutely. Yeah, man. There's there's not a not a bad track on this. I mean, there's only seven of them, but. <laughs> they're they're all very good tracks <laughs> and long, <laughs> so long. <laughs> Are they I, though? Th- I mean, 
I, th- I mean, the, I think the total run, the total runtime for this record is normal LP runtime, but with it only being seven songs in total. I mean, those are long songs. I think. Yeah. Isn't Bad Out of Hell like 10 minutes long or something? It is. That is the longest song at 10 minutes. But the others are about five minutes, four or five minutes. And the last two are over eight minutes. So, yeah, it's it's long, long songs, but... uh, doesn't feel like it. No, no. it doesn't. It feels short. It keeps yeah. moving. And the songs are opuses, so they've got yeah. multiple parts. It's not just like a psychedelic jam for 10 minutes long. Yeah. In fact, Bad Out of Hell, listening, like I've heard that song so many times, but listening to it this week, maybe it's because we've recently been covering other music from 1977, but I got like hella, uh, hella Springsteen vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? Like, like, it, it, like there's parts of it that are like straight out of Born to Run. Yeah, and Born to Run. Born was- to Run, like a Bad Out of Hell. Born to Run was what, 76? I think so. Yeah. 75, 76? Yeah. Yeah. 76. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I found that also to be the case. And also finding out that like dudes from the East band were playing <laughs> on this record kind of yeah. brought it all home. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess like, was it Steinem or Meatloaf? Somebody was like, because a lot of people were comparing uh, yeah. this record to, to that Springsteen record. And they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. But like he's got two of them musicians hey, on dude, there. Like, you have Max Weinberg on drums yeah. and Roy Bitten on piano. I think it was Steinman. And if if I had to theorize about why he said that is he didn't want to just be he didn't want to be in someone's shadow. He didn't want to yeah. be perceived as Bruce the Bruce Springsteen esque artist or something. He Bruce Springsteen but a goof. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that that brings up a very good point because the way that they got introduced is and got this record off the ground is meatloaf and Steinman met up with Todd Rundgren, uh, through a mutual friend and they performed it in front of Todd Rundgren with Steinman and, you know, playing the piano and meatloaf, like giving it at all. I can just oh, imagine no them yeah. some late night, all coked up, like, performing for Todd Rundgren like the entire album in its entire and he's just cracking and, up and yeah, he's just laughing <laughs> he's just he, loving it yeah it, it's it's like he's watching the blues brothers or something yeah. you know? <laughs> and he, he thinks to himself or he says to them oh I got it it's it's Bruce Springsteen but it's it's making fun of Bruce Springsteen and he's like Bruce Springsteen totally needs to be made fun of and I'll do the album. We're going to do it. It's amazing. <laughs> do you think at that point uh Meat and Jim were have been turned down by so many people that <laughs> like okay. <laughs> yeah. like, this, this this guy thinks we're joking but he said yes. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think, think Meatloaf said that like Todd Gr- Todd Rundgren was like the only like certified genius that like he's ever met or worked with, you know, because uh, wasn't Rundgren also like kind of uh, orchestrating all this shit, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was it? Steinman is not a he's not classically trained, so he would hum parts and Rundgren would would uh, put them down and do the arrangement, do the arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. sorry, arranging, not orchestrating. Um, yeah, like we we've talked about Todd a few times. He's studio imp. He's a fucking studio <laughs> imp. He's a crazy person. <laughs> he he's got his own thing going, and it's definitely it's definitely his thing. You know, I I, I I'm not I'm I'm not often I'm not always in the mood to listen to Todd Rundgren, and sometimes I find Todd Rundgren annoying. But I like how confident Todd Rundgren is in doing his Todd Rundgren thing, and about just I, I I admire his moxie and his his talent. You know he he he's a he's a, a you know Meatloaf calls him a genius. Meatloaf's probably not wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Those yeah, songs also- sound kind of flat. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the overdubs. I, th- I think we're entering like uh, Queen Two era of like how how much can we fit on like tape before it starts disintegrating. And he's going for a wall of sound sound. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. When you go for that's the that's the interesting thing too is people always talk about that wall of sound. I don't think every everyone quite understands when you talk about wall of sound it is a it is a wall and there's less dynamic range between instruments you know like the phil specter version of the wall of sound you know you you get five of the best guitar players and you have them all sitting there and you aim a microphone at them microphone phone at them and they're all playing where i would imagine people with a smaller budget like todd rundgren who's paying for this on himself is probably relying on overdubs you know and thinning yeah, out could, the tape well some of this was recorded in his studio right which if i'm not mistaken was like his top bunk in whatever loft that like <laughs> he was like living out of yeah so yeah th- there, there wasn't the room to to do that there you know yeah it was definitely like piecemeal for for doing it but yeah i mean say it sounds flat it, it, it definitely it, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound bad no like Mm-mm. no no and it, it, it gotta needs, turn it all the way up it needs to be played at the loudest possible volume. Like that's, that's, that's where this record shines as a party yeah. record. Yeah. It's a bit, man, it, what a good party record. It is a bit too, like uh how Bruce Springsteen was layering, had layer upon layer. And it has a very similar sound in that respect too. Mm-hmm. And I think he was also inspired by that same studio technique and trying to recreate it. And both, both Springsteen and meet and Jim use that, Ronette's Spectre beat the boom, boom, boom. boom oh yeah, boom, boom. That's on both of those records that we covered of more contemporary folks doing the Wall of Sound. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, the cover always was striking to me <laughs> as one yeah. of the coolest covers of a motorcycle <laughs> busting out of a grave. It's yeah. amazing. Dude, it's I'm looking at my art. wife's copy oh, right fun. right now. Oh yeah, the artist is Richard Corbin, and oh, uh, Richard uh, Corbin, yeah, and Jim Steinman hired him to do the cover of 
Jim Steinman's solo record also. Oh wow, uh, yeah, that's a that's a heavy metal alum for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's one he's one of those dudes. I'm looking at my wife's copy of Bad Out of Hell right now, and I don't know if I'd ever noticed that dude on the motorcycle, he's buck naked on that motorcycle. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just fr- yeah. and he is he is erupting out of hell dick first. <laughs> <laughs> How else are you going to do it, buddy? His body is an acute angle of just like legs and torso going back and just dick forward into the world. <laughs> it's amazing. Also, the back cover photo is great of them just hanging out. Mm-hmm. So, meeting Jim with the, with the mystery woman. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Meatloaf just got done singing at a wedding. <laughs> yes. Yes, it absolutely does. It's like unbuttoned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like ties just kind of hanging it, there. It's still true. It's like twelve thirty at whiskey day. Twelve thirty yeah. a.m. at whiskey day. Trying to trying to fit into the uh, to the suit that he graduated high school in. <laughs> nice cummerbund though. It is uh, a nice cummerbund. So apparently Steinman wanted the album credited credited to Meat and Jim, <laughs> like Meat Meat and Jim's Bad Out of Hell. uh the label uh obviously thought that it would be way more marketable just to go with the single name and have that name be meatloaf so the concession was uh, at the bottom of the record says songs by jim steinman under it Hmm. that was the bone that they threw him meat and jim it sounds like a like a bait shop (laughs) right (laughs) I, I thought that's uh, interesting, too, because I, I always assumed, you know, until I got a little bit deeper in that Meatloaf is just he would write the songs or he would do do a lot of this. But then you really realize he's the Bernie Topin mm-hmm. of of Meatloaf. He is the songwriter. He writes all this stuff. Meatloaf sings it. But it really is the the duo that is that is creating this music. And you you really see that when you go to Bonnie Tyler uh, and all the other people that he's written for, and it's he has that signature style of of these uh, mini operatic or epics that go through. So yeah, I, absolutely, I, I understand why he wanted to be on the cut or on the album because it, I mean it's a partnership. It's not it's not just Meatloaf. He'd so. been working on the bones of some of these songs way predating his him partnering with meatloaf you know yeah so. yeah did they have a falling out or something because uh what i read and correct me uh, kyle do you know if they had a falling out i feel like but that had a hell too was like a, a bfd when it came out That's oh right. yeah that was my introduction to being, meatloaf yeah i remember that being kind of like okay meatloaf is gonna do it again guys you know like and i assumed that if you know they had been cool or whatever they would have been making hits for years between then because battle hill 2 is what 91 yeah or what <laughs> sure it's 90, sure. 93 93 yeah you know unless yeah, unless I guess was something in, this epic yeah. eighth grade. Takes 25 <laughs> years to like you know they say you've got your whole life to to write your first album you've got 18 months to write your second album uh no one told me this. <laughs> Kyle! <laughs> Kyle! <laughs> but maybe 
you know, J- Jim Steinman, maybe he's not necessarily the type of really prolific songwriter that's just cranking the stuff out. Maybe it's more of, you know, he's got these big epic things that he just kind of woodsheds for decades. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, you know? No, no. The, the only reason why I'm asking is because he like trademarked the the words bad out of hell um and after bad out of hell too yeah that that was in 95 when he did that Mm -hmm. so that would have been two years later where he's like nah this is mine um but meatloaf's workaround of it (laughs) having to be bad out of hell three semicolon the monster is loose (laughs) or the monster's loose (laughs) wait but he's still calling it bad out of hell though right but putting the three after it and then the, uh, sorry, and then the colon, um, somehow that was a, that was a workaround for the trademark. Did they have that out of hell three? Um, yeah, I the haven't heard story? it. I haven't heard it either. I have not. Yeah. I have not heard it either. That's, that's uh, on the list to do. It's <laughs> on the list. Bad out of hell three is on this list on my list. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 2006. Your kiss is on my list. Has anyone here seen Todd Rundgren live? No. No, I haven't. No. I Have saw you? him open for Hollow Notes in like 2003. <laughs> Aw, man. When you and Ryan went out there? Affirmative. <laughs> awesome. How was that? Incredible. No, Todd Rundgren was terrible. Um, really? I, I mean, I wasn't a fan. Um, I didn't know his stuff, but... Is Todd Rundgren known for his live performance? That's an honest question. I know he's known for his studio work. Huh. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, from what I saw, no. But. On a stormy night Oh, she kissed me Two out of three ain't bad. Uh, in Japan, that song was retitled "66% is good enough." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so that song's like really cruel, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah that's yeah. just like a really shitty thing to tell someone. <laughs> and it's based on uh, the, the old. Uh, it was like based on the old pop song. I want you. I mm-hmm. need you. I uh, love you. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. Someone was trying to convince him to do like a traditional song and they right. used the Elvis song as as an example. Yeah, yeah, they did. And he he's like, "All right, I'll take that and I'll twist it." <laughs> it's a, it's, there ain't no way I am ever going to love you, <laughs> but don't be sad. <laughs> I I I think I love that about his his writing is it's it pulls directly from 
the sources. It makes no qualms about being saying this is directly from this other song uh, that you already know, but I'm going to manipulate and twist it into creating something new, interesting, and it's a, in sort of a show tune. It, it creates this interesting atmosphere of a song. It's cool. Yeah, it's a weird uh, track one side two. Just cu- cu- coming in real sad, <laughs> or yeah. or pompous. It's, I don't know. I that, that's a, that's a that's a real big dick energy. That uh, was his second biggest song in the U.S. after uh, I would do anything for love. I like two out of three ain't bad as a song, and I also think it's. I th- I still think it's really really funny. Well, he's like, she kept on telling me, she kept on telling me, she kept. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it gets me every time. <laughs> oh man! Like only Meatloaf can get away with that. Like I, 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 if someone else came at me like that, I would, I would laugh that album out of the room. But Meatloaf still laugh him out of the room though. <laughs> <laughs> Todd Rundgren tried to laugh him out of the room. Uh. So about the songs, uh, Steinman uh, said that he he never thought of them as personal songs in terms of his own life, but they were personality songs. Uh, they were about, quote, all my obsessions and images, none of them take place in a normal world. They all take place in an extreme world, very operatic. They were all heightened. They don't take place in normal reality. And then Rundgren said that, uh, for example, he couldn't imagine Steinman being at the lakeside with the most beautiful girl in school, but he could imagine Steinman imagining it. Which... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's... Do you know what year that, that quote is from? Uh, let me see if it's cited. 2016. <laughs> also, if, if anyone's listening, please just Google Jim Steinman right now and on your image search and, and look up his his thing, his oh, style, yeah. because he is... He has one. Mm, a beautiful style that <laughs> I, I wish I, I could uh, be so bold. It looks like that Rundgren quote was from 99. Okay. <laughs> That's still pretty late, man. <laughs> um, I did think it was hilarious that they told Todd Rundgren that they were already, like they already had a deal, <laughs> and so R- Rundgren goes out of pocket to like produce this whole thing, and then finds out that like, oh yeah, you, you guys don't have no one's putting this out, <laughs> no one at all. I guess I'm paying for this. <laughs> I, aren't guess, I? I guess this <laughs> is like, yeah. <laughs> And wasn't it, uh, it, it broke in Canada. It, it didn't, uh, yeah, maybe mm. there was like one DJ in Cleveland or something, but like Canada is what broke this record. Um, yeah, that which I found to be interesting that, and I thought it was, uh, it, it was interesting that his, the pre MTV, uh, era, they would play the paradise by the dashboard light before midnight showings of Rocky horror picture show. And so people got more invested Perfect. that way. Oh Yeah. What year was Rocky Horror? Because oh, Meatloaf's also in that. Yeah, you're going to test my uh, knowledge. 76. I'm going to guess 76. So this came out the year after? So he was already an actor. 70, I guess so. 75 is when Rocky Ooh. Horror Picture Show oh, came so, out. Oh, yeah. Well, there Meat, you go. Meatloaf yeah. was already an actor. That Everything checks out now. Everything okay, checks yeah. out. 
And then uh, when MTV started up in 81, they were starved for videos. So anybody who had recorded or made films and music, I guess they'd be music films at that point because they didn't have video, uh, they were were putting them in heavy rotation. So Paradise got a lot of rotation. Mm -hmm. So another bump in sales. What do you guys think about the song uh, for crying out loud? I like it. I like all these songs, though. Did you notice that he says, uh, I wrote this down. Can't you see my fading Levi's bursting apart? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Steinman thought that that was he thought that he wasn't going to be able to get away with that lyric. He thought that was the one that was going to uh, like get censored. Nope. nope. I kind of wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> It's because he really has to poop, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why mine burst apart. <laughs> oh, by this time, too, uh, wasn't he? He was an ex Ted Nugent lead singer because Meatloaf had sang on a Ted Nugent album. Did he? I was not aware of that. Yeah. Man, so, so these record execs that are saying an actor can't be a performer. First of all, if they if all they know him from is Rocky Horror, he's like he might as well be Meatloaf rocking out through that movie. You know, he's singing more than he's acting. Yeah. And then if he's also already got experience as a frontman for, you know, a first first tier band at the time, I can't imagine people not. Let's let's just be honest though. You, they probably took one look at Meatloaf and were like. Oh yeah, the, the, no. this guy does not have the goods. They were they were thinking like this guy going on the road. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know that's why you know that's why uh, he he brings Steinman along with him because Steinman's the eye candy. He's <laughs> 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 uh, also on the back cover, by the way. I actually had never noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very young, Steinman. Pre sunglasses, Steinman. I don't think we have to go around. I think everybody's on the positive on this. Nah, one. man. Correct. It's loud and stupid and fucking awesome. I like, like this is, uh, I, you know, Kiss was loud and stupid and I didn't like Destroyer. Uh, this is loud and stupid, but this is, uh, this is awesome. I like this. I like yeah. this more than Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what a, what a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it might be a hot take to some. Soldiers in the Kiss Army. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for you, Ben. Whoop, whoop, right? Is that the same guys? <laughs> Have we got anything that was uh, so, what do you want to say? Theater. Have we Have we gotten anything that has yeah, this? Alice Cooper. Scott Walker. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't continuous. It was not a continuing story sort of arc. We've had concept albums like yeah, uh, SF Sorrow. Mm-hmm. SF Sorrow. Good point. What'd you say, Kyle? Sorry. Uh, Lamb lies down on Broadway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, you're right. That is <laughs> that is probably one of the closer comparisons that we do that we have covered. So okay, I was I was thinking more of the '60s uh, era, like Grease, Hair. The apple, all those sort of the apple. <laughs> I just said it out there because it's terrible. Xanadu. Speed. So these are all actual musicals that have soundtracks. This one is a rock and roll album. Correct. But it was later. 
it was conceived as that, and I think later Steinman did eventually make it into a, a musical. Well, he did eventually, yeah. Yeah. So. I would go see that musical, by the way. Hell I would yeah. absolutely go see Bad Out of Hell, the musical. Uh, let's see. The uh, duet on Paradise by the Dashboard Light, the voice you're hearing on the album is Ellen Foley, but the Ellen Foley uh, was not available for the tour she was just available for the recording session. So they hired Carla DeVito for the tour. And Danny DeVito's sister. That might be her. I don't know. Uh, if you're, if you're picturing the woman singing, you're picturing Carla DeVito because she was not only on the tour, she was in the music videos, lip syncing Ellen Foley's, uh, or I guess they're all lip syncing his music video, but you're hearing Ellen Foley, but you're seeing Carla DeVito. If you watch the videos. Sort of a CNC music factory. So, sort of. of like sort of like CNC music factory. Like that blues traveler video. <laughs> the one that's kind of like the Wizard of Oz? No, the other one. You guys are just oh. giving me the runaround now. That one from uh Kingpin or bowling <laughs> that bowling movie. <laughs> uh anything else? Uh, uh, no, get me out of here. <laughs> oh, the, vo- the, the, the voice you hear uh, before you took the words right out of my mouth, uh, that, that like uh, creepy dialogue, uh, that's, that's Jim Steinman you're hearing. Yes. Good. He's a creepy <laughs> man. Also, listen to the two songs he wrote for Streets of Fire. Yeah, please. If you say that to all the boys, Kyle. Yeah, watch Streets of Fire as Just well. Just watch Streets of Fire, too. Yeah. All right, next time we'll be talking about Elvis Costello, My Aim is True. Thanks. Let me go.